This is Writing Excuses, Season 2, Episode 4. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we have our old friend Eric James Stone hanging out with us. Hi, Eric. Hi, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Um, You got anything coming out? Actually, at the end of October, there is Blood Light, the anthology of humorous horror. And I've got a story in there along with Jim Butcher and Sherilyn Kenyon and a bunch of other people. Okay, cool. All right. We're doing, um, this is... Yeah, yeah the, we're doing um, another question and answer from um, Conduit, or no, not Conduit, um, Mountain, Mountain Con. Con. Uh, edit that out in post. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so easy. yeah, it's so easy. Um, uh, from Mountain Con, and uh, we've got these questions here, and Dan's going to read one to us. Here we go. Many of us are working full-time in other jobs while trying to break out as a writer. What advice do you have for balancing work, writing, and the other necessities of life? Eric, go for it. Well, uh, set aside some time to write each day and try to do that. Um, That's probably the the best. I'm actually kind of not working a full-time job right now. I'm going to be looking for another (laughs) full-time job very soon here. Uh, But back when I was working a full-time job, uh, spending uh, spending some time each day to write uh, was how I got a lot done. Dan? Um, I'm, I'm actually, first of all, very excited to announce that I have officially quit my full-time oh, job. Oh, you have? You didn't even I tell have. me this. I, no. uh, I gave my notice. Friday's going to be my last day. I'm very excited. Yay! I'm insufferable at work in the office. By the time this podcast airs, yes, Dan I will, will have... no longer be qualified to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> but you can right now. But I can now. Yeah. Um, first of all, and, and Eric already kind of hit on this, you cannot do anything professional in your spare time. If you want to do this for real, don't wait for spare time. You have to set aside real time and treat it like a job. Um, Beyond that, how do you do that? Um, Very uh, understanding spouses help a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You, uh, I, I would write all day and my real job and then I would come home and write for hours every night. Uh, you really just have to commit yourself to it. I don't know what to the, say. I got to tell you, the four years that I spent at Novell while uh, doing Schlock Mercenary seven days a week, uh, those were, well, the way I described it in, in one lecture I gave is those are four years with my family that I am never getting back. Uh, I, the, they were very, very expensive for me. And at the end of that four years, I had to quit the day job not because the cartooning was making any money. At, at that point, it had only made negative $600 for the year, <laughs> and that was September. Um, but I had to quit the day job because I was going to die. It was awful. I was, working, I was working 100 hours a week pretty much every week between Novell and the, the cartooning. Um, and so strike a balance. If you have to do this for any extended period of time, Find a balance that keeps you sane and allows you to spend time with the people you love because as much as I like being a professional cartoonist, what it has taught me is that the time I spend with my family is far more valuable than the time I spend cartooning. The only reason I get to be a cartoonist is because it helps me be with my family. If it didn't, I wouldn't. One more thing. You're probably going to have to give something up. When I decided I wanted to write seriously, I had to give up playing EverQuest. Uh, (laughs) When I decided I wanted to eat, I had to give up EverQuest. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, that's a that's a good point. I wish I could sound off on this one, but I never <laughs> held a job in your never life. held a real job, um, Brandon what, Sanderson. The, the big secret here is that there really isn't a secret. There's not a magical trick we can tell you other than it's going to be hard, but you have to do it anyway. Um, you got to put in the time. Yep. Sorry to depress but, you. Here, I wait. Gotta, before before oh, we sorry. read that yeah. one, read this one because it's related. Okay. I was going to say this one's related too. Well, then read that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, when you're writing without professional involvement or supervision, do you set yourself deadlines? Ooh. Do you set yourself deadlines? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Dan? Do we want to expound on this or <laughs> just say it? No, the, the, I, can, I can sound off on this one because, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing this full time for quite a while. Um, in fact, I, I, my day job day job was working a graveyard shift at a hotel your night job my jo night job which was also just me having free time in writing um and so ever since the beginning i've kind of been writing full time and there was a tv there um at the hotel desk that i could have watched i had my computer which had you know video games on it and things like this and so i've had to you had to have to learn you know you can go and do whatever you want, but you won't get your writing done. I could go play Halo all day if I wanted to. I, you know, I had somebody cancel uh, on me today. I was I was going to go do an uh, interview in Salt Lake City on my way up here, um, and and so I found myself with like three or four free hours. And I looked at that free time, and I thought, okay, what do you know? I set a deadline for myself this week that I didn't meet. I was going to get a week of comics inked above my usual week of comics. I have four hours starting right now. Okay, go. And so I went and hit the deadline, and then came to MountainCon. The, the so. way I always used to set deadlines for myself back before I had editors breathing down my neck was a writing group. That was the primary uh, yeah. function of writing group for me. Yes, I learned a lot from the interaction, but mostly it was if I showed up at writing group and I hadn't submitted anything that week, I would get laughed at. And, I would, and Brandon's very good at making you feel horrible when you don't submit so to writing So one way group. to reword the question is to say, in the absence of external impetus providing deadlines, do you find a way to provide yourself with external impetus? Yeah. Uh, what I do is I actually, I, I say <laughs> to myself, really way to I have that. to write, um, I have to write 10 pages. I have to write 10 pages. I can do whatever I want when I get those 10 pages written. Now, what I'll probably want to do, because I'll gotten into it enough, is want to keep going if I have more time, because getting started is the hard part. Yep. Um, but I'll give myself that motivation, and I'll say, I've got to do 10 pages today, and once I do 10 pages, I can go play Halo um, if I want to, or, th or things like this. Um, and that works very well for me. Giving myself dangling the carrot has always worked very well for me. Yep. If I get this um, done by this time, then I can go watch this television show that I want to. Um, and I've been doing that for years, and I'm actually, I turn in books ahead of deadline, usually by about a year. Um, I've been a wow. year ahead on everything up until the Wheel of Time thing when they dumped it in my lap and said, okay, um, you've got a few months. How, how fast can you get it to us? Um, but... You know, my, my, I could only do that because all of my other contracts, <laughs> I was a year or two years ahead on them because I write every day. That's what I do. I'm a writer. We've heard you're ahead of deadline all the time. Yeah. We would like to take you down a peg. Exactly. <laughs> Eric, do you have anything? Yeah. I, when, when I first started writing, I uh, seriously, again, I specifically signed up for a community college writing class to give myself deadlines. And then I started attending writing groups, giving myself deadlines as well. And contests, writing for contest deadlines and things like that, Writers of the Future contest, for instance. And so, yeah, 
finding external deadlines helped me to, to start writing regularly so that then I could start setting my own deadlines sometimes. Okay. Um, our next question is right in line with these. Yeah. Thank you guys for like writing questions that just. This is great. Right Most writers have full-time employment and other time commitments. In a finite amount of available time, what proportion of reading to writing do you recommend? Um, this is actually a great question because it's very hard to find reading time. Um, it's been surprising to me how much how hard it is to find time to read, partially yeah. because. Um, reading, writing gives me the same feel that reading used to, but it's kind of like a little bit of a higher buzz for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, act, it's working the same muscles. Yet if I never read, I don't know what's going on in the field, and I'm not generating ideas as well. Um, I generate a lot of my ideas from reading. I'm reading nonfiction or reading other fantasy books and seeing what they did and saying, wow, I wish they would have done this, and then I say, well, I can. Um, and so, how do you how do you balance that? It's a great question. Um, I'm, you know, I read most of the time um, when I can't be writing. If I'm um, if I'm on a plane, I, I take a book. That's my best reading yeah. time is on planes. And now that I'm doing convention sabbatical for uh, yeah. <laughs> eighteen yeah. months, you haven't read anything. I haven't read anything. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how, Dan? Um, I don't know. I I read in huge spurts, off and on. And I will go for several months without reading, and then I'll feel guilty, and I'll force myself to read several books. I'm in the middle of one of those right now, uh, where I'm reading just as much as I can possibly read. Um, and how do I balance that time? I have no idea. You know, I'll admit this um, on the podcast. I, I dangle a carrot for myself. Um, I say, you've got to read this book. Um, it's really influential. It's very important. It looks like a great book. Um, if you finish it, you can have a pack of magic cards. <laughs> I'll honestly do that. Like, like Dan, I read in spurts. I, I tend to, uh, well, read fiction in spurts. Uh, Nonfiction, I, I read quite a bit of uh, either just online mm -hmm. or I uh, have stacks of New Scientist magazine in my bathroom for when I have reading opportunity there. <laughs> Um, watch your internet uh, waste time wasting. For our generation, oh, this wow. is far more dangerous than television or anything. Is and the pro thing is, if you spend your time, um, spend all of your time uh, on the internet, you'll be reading, and so it'll be kind of activating those same senses. And then when you get done, you aren't going to go want to pick up a book because you'll feel like you've just been reading for three hours. But all you've gotten are stupid news stories from Fark about you know people who whose cats got trapped in a blender or something. Yeah, the difference and between reading on the internet and reading a work of fiction is the difference between walking back and forth between the office cafeteria and your desk and going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. You're a writer or something, aren't you? Wow. wow. I'm a one-trick pony, and that was the trick. <laughs> All right. Um, let's do uh, another question here. Go for it, Dan. Okay. I'm going to phrase this as a question. How do you develop plot twists, and what makes them effective? Okay. We've kind of covered this in podcasts before. Matter of fact, the last time we covered it, it was a question. Yeah. In oh, Conduit it was. Yes. Yes. Wow. I was, on, I was there. And, and Eric was on... <laughs> Wow! Deja vu. The oh, thing wow. is, so what every if, time we open the I wasn't audience expecting questions, that. people. <laughs> <laughs> every time we ask for audience questions, plot twist inevitably comes up. Yeah. And so it's obviously something that we need to talk more about. Okay. So what can we add new? How do you make plot twists work? Um, I don't know what I said last time. Did I say the rule of three? Foreshadow three times. Yeah. I think I did. Um, 
the We talked about Chekhov's law. Yeah. Okay, so how, uh, uh, Eric, give us something. How do you make plot twists work? These are really important to short stories, and you write a lot of good ones. Yeah, uh, basically, most of the time, I have to think about how it's going to end uh, before I can you know, write the story. Uh, but when I'm writing the story, I often come up with a plot twist. I, because I'm seeing aspects of the story that I hadn't seen before. So I, I don't necessarily have the plot twist in mind as, I'm, as I begin writing the story. The, the twist is something that comes in the writing. Yeah, one thing you I really I think you want to ask though on plot twists is why are you including a plot, plot twist? Um, I, it, it's, this is gonna sound strange coming from me because I like really cool plot twists in my books, but a plot twist should never be there in my opinion just to twist the plot. Um, because, um, Unless you're writing a murder mystery. Yeah, maybe a murder mystery. There are um, genres yeah. where <laughs> the plot twist, the artful delivery of the plot twist is critical to the genre. See, see, that's good. That, but there's something different there. What I'm talking about is I, I've seen movies and t TV shows before where I think they're writing along and they said, you know what, this isn't interesting enough. Let's plot twist. And then they'll have one of the characters turn out to be evil or something like that. Yeah. And I hate it because it doesn't feel like it's right for the story. They're twisting for the twist, and it wasn't not for the sense of, of 24. Of but and that yeah. wasn't 24 does that. Oh my god, yeah. doing that. Yeah. They, they, but those weren't foreshadowed. Right. And that's the problem. Um, and, and I think that it, having a plot twist for the you know, smacking them upside the head and them saying, "I didn't expect that, but that was so awesome." That's a good enough reason to have a plot twist. A good enough reason to, to keep them in the reader interested in these things, but just to say Boom, we're twisting right now. It doesn't work. I hate it. Well, but it. if you're going to write, it, so if you're a discovery writer and yeah. you were writing and you say, I need a plot twist, boom. Yeah. When you go back and do the rewrite, you look at the plot twist and you say, well, okay, that's kind of obvious that I just yeah. stuck that in there. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to foreshadow this. This character who turned out to be evil, I'm going to point out in Act 1 that he has a monobrow or, <laughs> or an well, eye patch yeah. or something. I don't know how you <laughs> foreshadow these things. I draw them with a monobrow or an eye patch. Um, I did it. I, I had a character um, twist recently in one of the books I wrote, and the way I did it was, um, was through humor, actually. This person made lots of really violent jokes, or said lots of violent things, and then would make them jokes, would laugh about it. Um, and there was this, when you go back and look at him, you're like, wow, this person's a psychopath. But the viewpoint character was seeing it, and I was painting it as, this is just a funny guy. Um, and so when it twists, cool. hopefully the, the readers say, oh, wow, he was serious that whole time. That's creepy. And so I was hoping, I, I think it's the smoke and mirrors. The way you make the plot twist work is the smoke and mirrors. It's not the twist itself, it's what you put before it that makes it work. Dan, yes. anything? Yes? Okay. Um, with, with plot twists, you just have to make sure that they, uh, are, that they have to serve both purposes at once. They have to be surprising, but they have to fit what you've done. Uh, and so it, it has to work two ways. All right, we've got one last question. We can't get to all of them here, but we're going to do, how do you, you self-describe a character within their viewpoint? It, you know, the, this is a great question. They actually put here the, um, if she's not vain and staring in a mirror. Um, that's the cliche. It's good to ask that because the cliche that you probably want to avoid ever including if you can, yeah, is the looking in the mirror because it's been done so many times. Um, there are a lot of editors that, if in the first chapter the character describes themselves by looking in a the mirror, they get mad at you. That's not to say you can't do it, um, but that's just, it's part of a cliche of the genre. So how do you do it without doing it that way? Yeah, I'd like to know. 
<laughs> yeah. I draw a picture of the viewpoint <laughs> characters. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Um, boy, it is rough. Um, if you can, you try and work it into the scene. For instance, oftentimes I will have a character, you, you have a character brush their hair. Well, you can describe how annoyed they are with how many snarls there are in their hair because they're so long, or how, um, how good this um, person is at having their braids done and how they wish their braids looked like that. You put it, what you're wanting to do is you're, if you can make it about character at the same time as you're describing them, then it's a sneaky trick to get it in. Um, it's the same way you, you do all these things. You use sneaky tricks. Um, and so if you want to describe that someone's kind of heavy, you make them puffing as they go up the stairs and say, you know, I really need to lose a few pounds. Um, that works. You, you sneak these things in this way, um, you know, that you have them take a drink and, you know, the fuzz gets in their, in their mustache or their beard. They've got a mustache and they've got a beard. Some of these things, you can, if you're really sneaky, you can work them in and it works really well. Dan, any? Yes. Yes? Wow. You're double yes. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. I don't, I, don't I don't describe my characters very well. Well, you've got first person, so you can do yeah. it. In first person, you can actually say, I looked like this because yeah, of someone writing don't. a story. Okay. That's my problem. Yeah, I rarely describe my characters at all. I, I do in my first persons. I have them say this. And in, in third person, I try to get away with the sneaky tricks like that. Um, so the, that, I think that's the last um, question we have time for. Thank you guys all, and thank you, Eric, for sitting in. Um, Glad to be here. Yep, this has been Writing Excuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.